This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. All right, here we are live, everyone. Welcome. I am so excited to introduce you to our guest today. He is a serial entrepreneur, a thought leader, and a room energizer. I know this because I've been with him in the EO Boston chapter for over 10 years. Not me, him. He's been a, a member of the organization for such a long time, and every time he comes into the room, everyone cheers up. Uh, he's, he's been involved in the virtual learning committee. He is also the host, fellow podcast host, of EO360, which I highly recommend. We're going to put in the show notes. We're going to click on over to that podcast as well. Uh, previous founder and chief executive Peach at Peach New Media, which was acquired by private equity firm AKKR, co-founder and CEO at Prop Fuel now, Dave Will. Welcome to the show. You're so nice, brother. Like I'm just <laughs> I'm like bouncing out of my chair ready to talk, and it has nothing to do with my diet Mountain Dew right Diet here. Mountain um, Dew. <laughs> yeah, not not really the health drink, but it's my treat. You know, it's the kind. This is my, this is the thing. This is my vice. Mm-hmm. I don't drink a lot. I don't smoke. Um, my Diet Mountain Dew is my vice. And so every now and then when I'm getting gas at the gas station, that's my vice. Right. That- why not? You gotta live a little, right? It's- yeah, but the, here's the why not. The why not is because you start going off in tangents like this. The caffeine plus the ADD it just like throws you off the charts. Now all of a sudden the whole podcast is about Dave's vice. Well, you know what? Uh, that would be a different podcast. And if I didn't have these these notes in front of me, I might just go with you on that journey to Mountain Dew Land. But I, oh my god, well, can you imagine the two it. of us <laughs> it, it, like just given you know free reign, just go anywhere you want with this? Okay, let's go into your notes. No, yeah, yeah. Well. How we start this and how we start every show is by me asking you to smash a myth for me. What what is a common misconception, a myth, you know, bogus strategy around leadership or being an entrepreneur? Yeah, dude. Well, first of all, I appreciate you letting me know uh, about that in advance because that's uh, that's a tough question right off the bat. Right. In fact, when we were talking about it a couple days ago, I had an idea and I was like, yeah, yeah I could go with this. But since then, I'm sitting there driving in the car and I was thinking, uh, I think I heard somebody say something about like how they had that idea. You know, Facebook is a perfect example. Everybody's like, oh yeah, I had that idea in the, <laughs> in the 60s. You know, like I had this idea of, I called it a yearbook. But everybody's like, oh, yeah, I had that idea. They just happened to do it. Like doing it is the easy part. And I think that's a misconception. I don't think there's a lot of – this is one of these things where all the entrepreneurs out there listening are going to be like, yeah, no kidding. Uh, This is not an entrepreneur misconception. This is a misconception that people that aren't entrepreneurs have about, about what we do. And I think the misconception, to be very, very clear, is ideas are the misconception would be that ideas are the bulk of the work, Mm. right? Coming up with a good idea. If only I had a good idea, everybody's got good ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen. The really, really hard part is the execution. And sometimes the hard part is letting your idea evolve, right? Because we, we all have good ideas. Um, but the best ideas are those that we kind of set free and we let the market shape with us and we allow ourselves to grow and input from people. And so the ideas that you start a business with oftentimes are not what it turns into down the road, unless you're Steve Jobs or something, which there's not a lot of those. Right. That's the misconception I think is the most entertaining is, uh, oh, I had that idea. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. You brought up this evolution of the idea too. Mm. And can you could you tell me like how do you balance the the thought of being that driven? I mean, everyone listening, we're we're entrepreneurs, we're business leaders, uh, Boston area and worldwide, and and we have an idea. We're driven. We go for it. At, at what point? How, when do you when do you give up some of the innovation around that? Or how do you balance your steadfast idea with allowing the market to correct you? When should you do either one? Yeah, it's an awesome question. And, you know, when you have the idea, for me at least, I can only talk from my perspective. You know, that's a classic EO thing. Yeah, but you're Dave Will, so. 
you know. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so <laughs> I can only talk from my experiences with this. And, and I do have a fair amount of experience with ideas shifting, you know, so like my first business, uh, Peach New Media evolved to the point where it was a learning management system, pretty sassy. And when I say sassy for, for those not in software, SaaS software as a service, we refer to it as being kind of sassy. And the reason sassy and not SaaS is because we actually had 35% of our revenue came from services, whereas a typical, like, like support services, implementation, whereas a typical SaaS company is really highly self-serve. Right. Um, uh, so we were sassy, you know, and so, but uh, it wasn't it like better that. than ish, right? I like that better than <laughs> yeah. ish. Sass ish. Sass ish. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't like that in the beginning. You know, it was all, uh, uh, you know, I was reselling web conferencing 14 years before selling this. Is that, was that yeah. the original? Yeah. Yeah. It was just reselling. Wow. Uh, I had a good deal with a company called Placeware that ultimately became Microsoft to li live meeting. And, and so anyway, th my point being is that uh, sometimes you have a vision. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have an idea to make a couple bucks. Either way, you have to be open to this evolution of the product, Give it, let the product have its own life. And for me, to answer your question, what is the, like, how do you do that? I think it's a constant mindset of, is it working? Can I change it? What do I need to change? You know, that kind of thing. And, and that's an everyday question, right? Yeah. Uh, and, but the, the, the real challenge there is balancing your actions associated with your thought and so the thought process and it's a thought process that you don't do in a silo i have this conversation with my team like literally almost every day okay. about the product about feedback from clients um our position in the market uh, and it's not like an eos sort of all day meeting sort of thing but these are conversations that we have as a team all the time. But I can tell you with PropFuel, this is my current company, PropFuel, right. we started this four years ago and it took us three years, like to three years to figure out who we were in the market, to find that product market fit. And even now that I believe we found it, we're still making adjustments, just not right. as dramatic as the adjustments we were making four years ago. So we came out to the market with something, we put it out there. How did we know it wasn't working? Well, we were selling some, like, that's the hard part. Like you're selling a little, I, but it just wasn't meeting our expectations right. over and over and over again. It wasn't meeting our expectations. And, and it was a lukewarm reception from the market and the price was low, you know? Mm. So it's like, if there's low value, so we had to pivot and change some things. And so the answer to your question is, is the iterative process. I think you know, in my opinion, if you're going to make changes, and this is a very broad statement, but I think quarterly is not a bad time period for a young company with a fairly new product to revisit where are we going? What's the market saying? How are they reacting? So uh, if I could give you a very broad answer, that's more or less our, our approach is pretty much quarterly in terms of visiting, but we had conversations about it every day. Got it. Everyday conversations. And I also picked up that you were gathering feedback from clients, looking at the market, you're, you weren't just in a bubble of even your own team, yourself or your team of just talking about the product, you were getting outside oh, input. Yeah. And it wasn't isolating. just clients, it, it was also prospects, you know, like right. the people we yeah. were talking to. And so part of that process isn't changing the product, it's changing the market you're going after, right? So I remember, uh, you know, in the early days of PropFuel, we were an employee engagement platform, for lack of a better word. Now we've completely pivoted to a conversational engagement platform for uh, member-based organizations. Like in other words, we're going after associations that have hundred, thousands and dozens of thousands and uh, of members. Okay. And we're helping them get those members more involved in this conversational, very much like Drift. Like okay. David Cancel just spoke to EO recently, EO Boston. I just had him on the EO 360 podcast too. Uh, David Cancel is the founder of Drift. Drift yep. is a conversational marketing bot. So we're doing that kind of stuff, but through email for associations. But the point being, like early on, we're an employee engagement platform. Totally different. 
totally different. And, and so we would talk to, to prospects and clients and we'd get all kinds of feedback from them. And we got enough feedback over time to realize that the people were engaging and the questions we're asking and the approach in which we're going about asking those questions isn't as valuable as it needs to be to build a really good business. Yeah. And so we've shifted and ultimately found the sweet spot. You know, it's interesting. They call it product market fit. And you had shared that it's not necessarily changing the product. Sometimes right. it's the product. Sometimes Duh. it's the market. What- I know. I didn't even think about the name right. of it. Right. Product market fit. Duh. It's not just the product, but it's also the market. Right. And I could imagine if you hadn't shifted the market, you might still be in the market trying to find this product and trying to squeeze like a, a round product into a square hole. When do you know to shift market versus just tweak the product? Oh my God. Such a good question, dude. Right? Yeah. Wow. That's a really, really good question. But be, actually I'm going to come back to that because I okay. think there's a third element, which is your exp- expertise, right? Your area of knowledge. And I yeah. don't know what you call that. I, I'm kind of defaulting to expertise, but you have the product market expertise fit. And, and I never, I just, of course, made that up, but so you got the product, which has got to fit. And then you got the market that the product needs to fit into, but then you better know something about it and you better know the industry. And so we shifted to associations as our primary focus and we're finding success there because we really know associations from my last company. Right. And, and so there's, I'm sure there's other markets that our product would fit in and there's other variations of the product like client success. It'd be a great client success tool for uh, businesses. And I'm sure there's lots of healthcare. We could have gone into healthcare. Yeah. I don't know anything about healthcare. Right. And, and so therefore we didn't choose that path. So when do you focus on the market change versus the product change? I really, I, gosh, I just don't know. I mean, my, my hunch tells me that it's part of that iterative process. What we did, let me just dissect this a little bit. I'm I'm going to think out loud here. Uh, What we did is we had this product and we would try that in different verticals. Okay. Right. So I I remember going after small business owners. I remember going after HR. This is back when we were doing employee engagement stuff. Right. Small business owners. And we even sponsored um, one of the EO regional events when it was in Buffalo, Nerve in, in Buffalo. Okay. And then um, then we went after HR professionals. And then we were for bigger corp- companies. And then we went after coaches, trying to get coaches to come on board. Uh, and that was more or less with the same product. Ah, I think I came up with the answer now. So the idea is we, we have the product, and then yeah. you try that product in a few different verticals. Yeah, it's not really working. So you shift the product, try the shift in either the same or slightly different verticals now with a different message and see if it works. So I think that's probably. So it's that, like it was, it was the, you take the same product and you're shopping it at different verticals or markets, right? Yeah. Shopping at different markets. It's slightly and then, different messages because the messaging is a big right, part of it too. Right. Different messages, but the same product. But then if that if that's not working, you sort of fed that back into let's change the product a little bit and then let's go try other markets or go yeah. back to those markets. Yeah. And, and the challenge with startups and the reason so many fail is you run out of money before you find that product market fit. It's not that there's not potential. And this is exactly the conversation when, when Guy Raz on how I built this asks his guests at the end of every episode, was it luck or intelligence? Um, Interesting. Oftentimes it's, it's, uh, it's luck, but luck as we know is manufactured with persistence. Tweet that one, huh? But no, luck is, I think luck is manufactured with persistence. The longer you're trying something, the longer you're in the arena. Great poem or, or speech by Roosevelt, mm-hmm. by the way, man. In I the love arena. that one. It's just absolutely one of my all-time favorite uh, speeches. Uh, but the longer you're in the arena, the more likely something good is going to happen. Assuming you're testing it. Assuming, assuming you're... You're not stuck in your ways or it's interesting, yeah, right? probably, right? Man, we're figuring out a lot today. We could yeah. probably write a book about I know, just right? this conversation. 
<laughs> this is where I wish some of the listeners could chime in. And, you know, I wish this was a bigger group conversation. Right. But yeah, I, th this is cool stuff. Amazing. Well, tell me, you, you did have a successful exit, sir. Congratulations. Thank um, you, brother. What was that like? What was that like? Uh, any any so it was recommendations a, or tips? Yeah, it was a 14-year overnight success. <laughs> I've heard other people make comments like that, and it always makes me laugh because it seems so easy on the outside because what people hear and see is um, the finish line. Mm -hmm. But uh, what they don't hear and see, and, and all entrepreneurs listening to this know this, it's the, um, for me, I'll, I'll give you very specifically the, um, challenges in the early days, but I was getting fired from my job and making the decision not to take another job. It was my wife supporting that decision and saying, you know what, do what makes you feel good mm -hmm. and we'll figure the rest out. My, my wife, I'm just, she's just amazing. I mean, can you imagine if, if you were not working, staying, staying at home with the kids, your, your wife gets laid off from her job and you're just turn around and be like, yeah, whatever, do what you want, honey. We'll be fine. Mm. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Go get another job. Make it snappy. Right. Let's go home the bacon. And until anyway, then deliver pizzas. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm, I, the, the, then, you know, credit card debt. Yeah. The, the, God, that was stressful seeing $80,000 in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. um, trying to get that next win, trying to get the next piece of business. And then, of course, the, the product market fit and trying to figure out, is this actually going anywhere? Or should I get a real job? People don't see that. And they don't see yeah. when you get hacked by Vietnamese hackers. And all of a sudden, you're wondering after nine years in business, is this it? Are we done? Is everything I've worked for for nine years getting thrown away? And they don't see the line of credit that's attached to your mortgage. Um, and and uh, they don't yeah, see- Yeah, that is a scary part for sure. The people you got to fire and make those decisions, be, it's, it, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining, best job I've ever had, but it's certainly, um, I equate it to running a marathon, right? I'm, I'm an, I enjoy running and- yeah. um, I've had this conversation with my friends. The marathon is the result, right? It's not the, uh, it, it may be the pinnacle, but it's it's not where the joy comes from. It's not where the work goes. It, it's not the hardest part of, of, of marathon training is not the marathon. It's waking up every day at five or four forty-five in the morning. Yeah. It's forcing yourself out the door when you don't feel like going. It's right. getting out on a Sunday and spending three hours on the road in the heat, depending on that. That's the, the beauty and the glory uh, of marathon running. And I think the same is true with business. So what was it like to sell the business? It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. The process it was stressful and awesome, especially the finish line going through that finish line after 26 miles is awesome, of course. So that that's what it was like. It was a lot of hard work over 14 years. Um, by the way, no harder work than any other entrepreneur. It's not like it's, it's not like people sell their business because they've worked harder. It just happens that there's a really good fit at some point for what they're creating. Right. But here's another thing. I'm rambling on, but I want to say this. No, this is good. Something that's really, really cool about um, selling a business is for the first time in the life of your business. Well, for me, I, I guess, I, again, I got to go back to my experience for the first time in the 14 years of building peach new media, somebody put a dollar amount in the value we had created. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's so cool. Like for, for a long time, you're like, Oh, look at all my employees and we're putting food on the table and giving them vacations and helping their kids go to college. And we're actually creating marriages. Three marriages came out of that company, by the way. No kidding. Yeah. Employees. Practically a dating married. app at that point. <laughs> and, uh, so you're seeing all this cool stuff and you're seeing the clients yeah. and they're paying money and clients are happy. So most of them are happy. And, but the actual dollar, the price tag of the acquisition is like, look what you created. And this is the, we're quantifying the create your value creation. Right. And I, I thought that was really, really cool. Cause you never, you I never really know, right. You never really know. 
you may have high esteem of what you've done or low and you don't it's but to have someone give you that you know black and white number on a screen or yeah you know one of the coolest things one of the cooler moments and i was coached to you know you always decline the first offer i don't want to tell other people that i got to be very very careful these are this is my experience and i was coached to decline the first offer um and naturally so i received i was in san francisco in the airport Um, my wife was actually flying in i was flying in from seattle she was flying in from boston and we're going to meet there for a couple days just to enjoy san francisco before i had a conference in san francisco and she was going to fly home Mm -hmm. and uh it was the day i was expecting a call from akkr and they called on cue and i was in the airport waiting for her and the baggage claim noisy and i'm trying to find a corner and i remember them saying well dave we're we're really pleased to be um at this point we're going to make you an offer um, we have a letter prepared. It's for X dollars. Um, how does that sound to you? Hmm. And I already had the line prepared. Yeah. Like it was already, like, I don't even think I let him get it out before I said, um, by the way, before I even said it, he said the numbers and I was like, Oh my God. Right. So like, it was still a good number. Oh my, it was oh like, my God. It was like, a lot of I, moolah, but I can't. Knew. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was, I couldn't believe a kid that thought maybe being middle management and making a hundred thousand dollars one day in his lifetime to hear a number like this was just, just amazing. And in my, the line that came out of my mind was, I mean, out of my mouth was, um, was I really, I'm flattered and I really appreciate it. But unfortunately, if we're going to sell this business, that's not going to work for my wife or me. Wow. And like, so in other words, this is my business. My wife is a part of my life in the mm-hmm. business. We cannot sell it unless it's it's absolutely hands down lifelong money. And so that began the negotiations, which ultimately landed in 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 a, a couple more million dollars, which was valuable. was that hard to do? Was that hard to say that 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 first no? Uh, it was a little scary, but at the same time, I know they're not going to walk away with you were one, coached with and... one counter. Yeah, so yeah. you know, it's it's a little bit like, am I doing the right thing? Right. But uh, yeah, not not really. <laughs> It was a really, the whole thing though, was, was a circus from the point at which you get the letter of intent, which by the way, the letter of intent, um, I, I want to say the number something like 30% of deals that get, that may be off, but it's an, it's a low number. The number of deals that get a letter of intent that do not go through to close. Mm. It's, it's very low or very high. Sorry. The number that do not go through is very high. Um, and so we went through this this process. It was in October, supposed to close by Thanksgiving. I remember two weeks or a week before Thanksgiving, I told my employees because I figured, you know, fairly transparent company, I want them to know what's going to happen in a week or two. Of course, day before it was supposed to close, they call and say, hey, we want to see one more month numbers. I'm like, oh my God, I just told everybody. And then the next right? month comes. The next <laughs> Don't month take a comes, vacay, everyone. And they're we like, actually, you know, yeah. we want to see the end of year numbers. Are you kidding me? So now at this point, I told my employees November, early, mid-November. Yeah. And now they want to go through the end of December. It's going to take us a week to get our numbers together. So now it's at least mid-January before we're going to close. Then January comes along. We killed our numbers, like smashed them. It was awesome. And I couldn't wait to go to them. And I got on the phone and I showed them numbers and almost like a big F, you look at this. You should have closed earlier. This would have been yours. And- uh, and it was like silence. Like, hey, this thing on? <laughs> is this like, a, yeah. Hey, can you guys hear me? Am I muted? Uh, so they, very, very nondiscreet answer. And like a day later, maybe it was like three days later, I'm going out of my mind. What is going on here? And they call back and, and basically said, look, we've had uh, uh, some turnover at this company we're going to bolt you on to we need to put this on hold for a few months. So this is January. Yeah. By the way. So yeah. it's like, it's a roller coaster. And like right. in my head, I've already picked out the boat I'm going to get. And <laughs> yeah. Like, like in my head, it. it's already sold. Right. The thought right. of going back to the scramble is now, I just, it would, it would be so hard not to mention all my employees that I already yeah. know. And they're yeah. still wondering, am I going to have a job despite what I tell them, by the way. So right. moral of the story, I would not have told them. I, I would. I will not do that next time. I will not tell my employees until the deal is done. All right. So having said that, um, th- th- this might be valuable to people listening. 
uh, so I went back to him. I was like, okay, I understand. This is, this was all coached by my, by my, um, attorney. Um, I went back to him and said, okay, I understand things happen, but I want you to know that I'm back out in the market. There was another, they knew there was another private equity firm interested. I was like, I understand, but you can't expect me to sit back and wait. Right. If you want, pay my legal fees, which at this point was like a hundred grand, Jeez. pay my legal fees and I'll give you another month. Or I'm, I'm a free agent now. Like I get it, no hard feelings, but I'm going to go back to this other firm and see if they're still interested. And uh, he said, okay, hang on. Let me get back to you. <laughs> like an hour later, he calls back and says, I think we figured it out. We're still good. Let's close on Friday. <laughs> so, Are so you serious? Like, ended up closing fr February 13, 20, 2015. That was wow. a really cool Valentine's Day. Man, man. Oof. It was a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, here, my next question for you is, who are you? <laughs> who who is this guy Dave that I, that I've you know known in EO and and we've swapped many a story and a beer. Oh, I love you, Chase. Can you can you Chasey. take me back and take Chase, me back Chevy, in time? Chevy, what's Chevy? <laughs> Casey Cheese. Uh, who am I? Thanks. Uh, it's a it's an interesting question. Well, like little Dave, where'd you grow up? What was it like? Did you know you're you know gonna what? be a you know? So let me tell you who I am right now. Yeah. And I yeah. I I have a certain a handful of identities, right? I'm okay. a I'm a I'm a um, I almost said a runner, but I would consider myself more of what I, I like to think of as an endurance athlete. Cool. And I, I just was scuba diving with the Boy Scouts. Right. And what I kind of watch is that? Last, I killed my Garmin, my last Garmin watch. Apparently, okay. it was too old to get to five ATM, as they said it would. So I asked my kids, I was like, guys, do I get an Apple Watch or do I get another Garmin? They looked at me like I was nuts, like, Dad, you get a Garmin. So <laughs> anyway, I just bought this, and I'm showing hey, you this for those high people. Five. That, Which one did you get? It's the Phoenix Six Solar. Oh, thing. I got a Phoenix Six too. Yeah. Oh, I love the it. The show I brought you by it. Diet Mountain Dew and Garmin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's who I am. I'm. I'm. That's one way I like to identify myself. And then the other way, I, I'm going to give you three words. Yeah. One is adventure athlete. The the second one is identify myself as uh, an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. because I take so much pride in what we do and the point that. Yeah we're cr trying to create something out of nothing. That's, that's, so that's a huge part of my identity. And the third part is, um, as many of us are, I'm, I'm a dad and I'm a lover, man. I, I really, really enjoy, um, being a family man. And to be honest, I dropped the other two if, if necessary for that one. I don't want to, I don't want to have to make that choice, but I would, if I had to, that's the priority. Um, in terms of the background, the most interesting thing about my background, I think, uh, and I had a pretty leave it to beaver background, not a lot of adversity. I, I, I struggled to, um, answer that college essay, like talk about one major adversity in your life. Mm. Um, and I'm not, I don't wish I had adversity. Um, I'm very grateful to have had a good upbringing. We were not well off. Um, we're middle class, lower middle class, I think. Sure. Um, never had a need for anything. I had loving parents. Um, and I was raised by a teacher and an engineer um, that were always home uh, and always loved me no matter what. And uh, so that's what I mean by leave it to be of a really, really nice upbringing. Um, yeah, sounds good, man. Sign me up. <laughs> sounds yeah, good. Right. I know. I know. Yeah. And, and uh, now here, here's the interesting part about that. We were raised, and I think I can speak for you too, you're Gen X, right? I don't even know which one I am. Really? But, when, but when, I'm old enough to have not have had 80. So no, you know, we didn't have the internet. <laughs> You're just a kid, man. Oh my God. You well, look so much well, older. No, I've never used punch cards on computer science. It's true. You didn't catch my little jab there, huh? You don't look that old. You look young. Thank you. You look like you were born in 80. Yeah, no punch cards. I didn't use punch cards either, man. <laughs> So, but all right. So I'll tell you about me again. I'm Gen X, right? Okay. So, it's so what does that mean? How old are you? Well, what that? Um, so I'm 50. Okay. Uh, I was born in 70. My, this is the significance that though of that is my parents were, um, in this generation that isn't the boomers, mm. and it's not the millennials. There's this one you, everybody's heard of, also called Gen X. That's there's a movie about us and reality bites, and 
if you ever want to understand Gen X, just watch that movie, by the way. And then, um, but nobody, oh, and there's also the greatest generation. Remember them, our our grandparents, the Stoics and, you know, the the serve, serve the, the country. Yeah. That, that kind of group, you know, the one nobody remembers is the silent generation. That was my parents. My parents, are, I don't know the years, but my parents, my dad's 83 right now. He's part of the silent generation. Sadly, my mother passed away when I just graduated college. Um, that was adversity, I'll tell you that. That sucks. Um, but, uh, I, but So my dad's 83. My mother would be 82 right now. They are the silent generation. Here's the thing about the silent generation. is They don't want to rock the boat. They're like, look, get good grades go to college, get a job, go to graduate school because you can and you're smart enough and you can do this. Go to graduate school, get a good job, find a person and marry them and uh, become middle manager, make six figures, be happy, retire and die. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the plan all laid out. And you can, from there, you can make adjustments if you'd like, but family is number one, make six figures. Uh, if you do your career well, you know, if you do well, if you do better than us, you'll make six figures and, and you'd got, I remember my dad telling me once, uh, Dave, you'd be a great project manager. Like, oh. even, even as a kid, I was like, God, oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I aspired to be an engineer and project manager. Needless to say, I tried to do that for, this yeah. is who I am answering question. I tried to do that for many, many years. I went to college, hardly. I graduated, got a job, went to graduate school, met a girl. I got a good job, got married. Holy moly. Um, had kids. But then then everything broke. Mm. I was trying to fit into all these jobs and I was doing okay. I was chasing the money. At this point I was getting six figures, but then I got fired and that's what broke. That's what broke everything. And that's what led me. That's what jarred me out of this uh, silent generation perspective. That's what jarred me into woke me up to realizing that I don't have to stay on the path anymore. Mm. So that's who I am, dude. What is that? Is that the thing that inspired you to launch your first company? Oh yeah. I got fired. I got a story about that. You want to hear that? Would you, looking back, would you, I've been fired. It seems like a kind of an entrepreneurial thing. Is that? Oh, you're not, you're not uh, an adult until you've been fired a couple times, (laughs) at least once. I think you've heard it here. you're You're not experienced unless you've been fired. What would you do when you got fired? Did you just get another job or is that, was yeah, that yeah. the change for you? You mm-hmm. did? Yeah. Yeah. It took, it took me a couple bumps to realize there was something else there and, and I was a better entrepreneur than maybe a, you know, a worker or something. Yeah. Something it's, like it's hard to put myself back into what made me to, Oh, you know what it was? I got it. So I was fired one morning. It was like 1030 in the morning. I'm on the ferry. Actually, I'm looking, you have a background. It wasn't too far from the background Over here behind somewhere. you. <laughs> and, and it was on uh pier four. Is that where the ferries are? Pier four, right by Rose wharf in Boston. Mm, maybe anyway, sure. Rose wharf yeah. and waiting for the ferry to take me down to the South shore. 1030 in the morning. I had my little Nokia phone, like the one in the matrix. And yep. I call my wife briefcase in hand. And I remember hearing her pick up the phone and I heard Zach who's now uh, heading into his junior year of college this year. And I heard him in her arms cooing Mm. and instantly broke into tears. Uh, Oh my God. I, I, I couldn't get it out that I had lost my job. Anyway, she was just so compassionate. And I remember going home and, you know, being numb and going out to trim the hedges. Now it's like noon <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do with myself. So I'm just going to go trim the hedges. And I freaking cut, sliced the tip of my finger almost oh, all the way off. Man, I was just it's like so your, your mind's elsewhere, right? Yeah. And we're new to this area. Yeah. And so I'm like, I go in and I'm holding my hand. I'm like, Hun, can, can you bring me to the hospital? I just oh, God, man. And so she brings me to like, we're new to this area. And I remember seeing a sign for a hospital down the road. 
And so I'm like, look, there's this Pembroke Hospital near us in Marshfield, and they just bring me over there. And we pull into Pembroke Hospital, and there's a sign, emergency. And we go up to emergency, and that she lets me out. And I get out, and I go to the woman at the front desk. And I'm like, hey, I, I, she said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, and it's a quiet hospital. And I'm like, I just cut my finger. Can I, where, where should I go? She's like, wow, you should go to a medical hospital. <laughs> I was like, well, where am I? And she's like, oh, you're at Pembroke Psychiatric Hospital. I'm like, oh, I'll be back. So that, right? that's, that's yeah. my story. About, Let me get my oh, finger fixed and I'll come back. <laughs> so this is the moment where I decided, you know, I'm, I'm moving on and, and I'm going to start a business. I got another job offer. I, it's hard to remember the time period. I want to say like a couple weeks later, I had another job offer. Yeah. This is a lateral move, similar stuff. And I remember being so grateful to have a job offer, like so grateful. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when I thought about working there, I just had a dark pit in my gut. Yeah. Was not excited about it. And, and, and at the same time, a friend of mine had come to me with another uh, idea. And that's, that's, so I went to my wife and I said, look, we're at a crossroads here and I don't know what to do. And she said, do what makes you feel good. So we did. Wow. Shout out to her. Props no because, kidding, man. you know, she to have amazing. a job, you know, steady job offer on the table. I, that's the trap, right? Even we talked product market fit that you had some sales and that was the trap. I could just stay here because I have some sales. It's a trap. I know. You know. Or yeah, here's another job. It's the sirens on the rock, right? Off the bow. Yeah. Don't go, don't, don't go to the sirens. Hey, come, come hang out. <laughs> We've got cold beer. Mm, yeah. Oh. Is that a mermaid? Yeah. You're pretty. <laughs> wow, that manatee is cute. <laughs> uh, right? And so, but wow, kudos. To, it, was it was it harder or easier that there was another job offer? Harder, right? To to know that. I, I guess so. I don't know. It uh, wasn't like it was back against the wall. I have to start a company. It's like I yeah. want to do this. I think it was it was helpful for my ego. You know, because mm. the ego gets bruised when you get fired. You know that. Oh yeah. And, uh, it's like you they, you don't need me out of all these people. Like I'm I'm the one you don't need right now. It's rejection. Yeah, and uh, talk about value creation. I'm not creating that amount of money in value. That's mm -hmm. what it's saying. Mm -hmm. Like that sucks. And hence the what feels so good. On the contrary, of getting a, a getting acquired is somebody says, oh this is the value you created. It's like, it's just the absolute um, opposites. So I don't know, getting the job offer was um, nice little ego boost, but yeah, I guess it, I don't remember. I think it probably made it a much more difficult decision. Did you have like a point in time where you had to, you know, show some kind of this is working otherwise was there ever any doubt like maybe i should go back and get that job oh or my god regret? totally dude yeah. oh my god like i remember eight or nine years into it wondering if i should go get a real job someday right <laughs> now at that point that's not completely true it's probably four or five years okay i mean i was making money um not but even that first year not, even that first year was oh i made 40 grand in the first year and just to be completely transparent i was i think at this point i was how old was I? Uh, 30. So I was 30 and I was making 125 uh, working in this consulting industry, systems integration stuff. And so I got fired 125. I think the offer I had was 115. If I remember correctly, it was a little lower. And then, so the year one of the business, I made 40 grand mm -hmm. and year two was like 80 grand. Was that profit or just revenue? Yeah, kind of. Just there's really not much of a difference <laughs> when it's a one-man shop and, and you True. have very yeah, minimal yeah. expenses. So, yeah, it was it, it was right. really, really like a one-man show I was doing and, and eventually just evolved over time. That's partly why it took – I mean, I hear people say, oh, you're in Accelerator. You should hit a million dollars within the next three years. It took me, I want to say, eight, seven, seven years – to hit a million dollars in revenue. And then the interesting thing is it took me uh, so another seven years to hit 5 million. And um, so it's like, it definitely things, as you scale, things get a lot easier. Get easier, they get harder too. Yeah, I guess so in some ways. 
Interesting. Yeah, things I guess you're right. Things change, right? They change, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, even to your original point of the idea, you can have an idea, but it's it's one thing to then, you know, execute that yourself and then how do you add somebody else to the mix and somebody else and then Oh, yeah. Hiring's yeah. hard. Hiring's yeah. really hard. And I find management to be hard too. So I actually yeah. learned a lot from my I remember sitting on an airplane with my friend Amelia who was an employee and I was traveling with her and she was a woman that I hired fairly fresh out of school. I think I hired her when she was 24 or something like that, a couple of years out. And she really grew working at my company. And to the point where I want to say seven or eight years later, I'm on an airplane with her traveling back from somewhere. And she was coaching me like, dude, you've got to talk to people more. Like they look up to you and blah, blah, blah. And you got to talk to them. You got to listen to them. And so she was coaching me on how to be a better leader in the company. And it was hard to hear, but also enlightening at how sucky I am as a manager. Um, and yeah, managing is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. But you're right. You go from this point where you're kind of running the business, doing a lot on your own or with a small team. And then all of a sudden you start to hire people and you hear things like, questions about benefits in the 401k and it's and, and questions about you know are my feeling whether they're growing personally and professionally it's like stuff you're not thinking about until right. you actually have employees yeah there's so, there's so many things you know that, that are behind the scenes that people even take for granted i remember you know even when you first start saying oh we need to offer health care mm -hmm. <laughs> i, I know that's when you you're do that. you company, don't have right? any does does your your parents or your spouse have it like um and yeah it, there's things to figure out that's when you know your real company is when you're offering health care benefits yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, i'd love to i'd love to kind of pivot a little bit and ask you about this this topic that that tends to occur to a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of leaders the idea you've heard that that quote it's lonely at the top you know and and i'd i'd love to hear your your take on it is it and and how have you found ways to you know find community and find ways of of connecting with people even as your company grew yeah i well first of all i i I giggle a little when you say at the top, cause I certainly don't feel like I'm at the top. You know, who's at the top is David cancel, man. Drift. That guy is awesome. <laughs> he's amazing. Um, he's fresh. He's top of mind for me right now. But I was telling him when I, when I was interviewing him in the podcast, I was like, I gotta say, I got, I'm a little starstruck right now. Like you're amazing. He's 49. Uh, so we're similar ages. And, and I'm like, dude, like, I'm just so amazed at the thing, his ability to create a high value um, business and yeah. turn it over is unbelievable. Yeah. So I don't, number one, I don't really feel like I'm at the top, but I think what you mean by that is mm. at the top of the ranks in your company, right? So you're the leader in your company. And is it lonely? I, I guess the lonely part is if, if you're doing it, but my definition of being right, it, it's, I was a little too much of a friend to my employees. And I think if you're doing it right, you're not really everybody's friend you're the leader and to that sense you it's there's some would argue that it's okay to show some weakness and it's okay to show vulnerability but at the same time you're also a beacon of uh and you got to be a beacon of positivity and in, 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 in encouragement and enthusiasm and so yeah it i i know what you mean that and that's to me that's the value in eo hmm. and that's what I, I i'm just shocked eo is is not more popular. I mean, we got fifteen thousand members around the world. Right. Uh, every major city has this great chapter. A hundred um, plus in Boston, right? Yeah, so. but again, only a hundred. Yeah, like, and there's that's, thousands that's of companies. Right? My mind. Yeah. Like, how is it that we're such a small collection of people? Um, but anyway, I I love the global community of entrepreneurs. I love. Um, and I love sharing stories with each other and, and, uh, and, and realizing that no matter what vertical you're in, what kind of business, how big it is all the way up to like PepsiCo versus one of our businesses, like they're dealing with the same issues there as we deal with in our, you know, um, five, 10, 30, $50 million businesses. Yeah. So yeah, it's the camaraderie in EO that I thrive from the most. And I tried a bunch of um, mastermind groups 
and every now and then I go to some others, but EO has been the consistent thing for me for the past 10, 11, 12 years. Really like a, yeah, consistent. A lot, a lot of things change, but that the consistency Casey, is there. Here's the one, one thing I think is really cool about EO. Anywhere you go in the world, you can reach out to the chapter. Mm-hmm. And like you go to Barcelona, you don't know anybody. You reach out to the chapter, say, hey, I'm in town. Anybody want to get a drink? Yeah. Or I'm in town. Uh, anybody recommend a good restaurant? I'm in town. Anybody recommend a good place to stay? I'll bet more likely than not, you'll find that you're staying in somebody's guest room in their in their house in Barcelona. It's, it's just the, the network of peer, people uh, in around the world, around the world in EO is just incredible. And they're taking you to dinner at some place you never would have found, even if you had the address, because it's behind this thing and around this parking garage and but it's the local hotspot gem it's the the place yeah. that you know that the locals go to and you're you're having a real authentic meal in some yeah. scenarios you walk away with a really strong uh business connection too not right. just a, not just a cultural and a, and a friend but now you've got another perspective of of where to take your business too right um one final question for you. It's a hypothetical question, perhaps. I, I may or may not have a time machine here in Nashua, New Hampshire with me. Um, it's in the backyard, covered in tarp. Uh, so let's say, you know. Is COVID, that a lawnmower? Is, is that, it, it may is be. That a but time machine or a come, lawnmower? Come over, we'll get some beer, and oh, I like get it. to use this time machine, right? And it takes you back in time to a particular time. It takes you back in time to the moment you started that company that first company um, and you get to, you get to meet yourself, right? You get to meet Dave. Then what would you tell yourself? You got a couple minutes to say hi and you get to talk to yourself. It won't mess up the time, you know, the, the quantum universe. So you can tell yourself anything you'd like. What kind of things would you tell yourself? Oh my God, Casey, it's, um, it actually, chokes me up a little bit because I'm actually really internalizing that question and yeah. visualizing seeing myself uh, 21 years ago. Uh, and it, what chokes me up is how time, how fast that 21 years went. That's the part that chokes me up. And the yeah. fact that uh, I had one kid, naturally, even then I didn't have any kids. So about 20 years ago, anyway, the point being like to think, see my kids now, the business, all the experience we had, I guess just going back there, I'd, I'd, I'd give myself a hug and I'd tell me I'm proud of me, you know, and, and, uh, and I can see myself at, at 30 looking back saying, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, but I'd give myself a big hug and I'd say, I'm proud of you. You're doing fine. Yeah. Keep, keep, um, uh, uh, what the, don't, don't keep the course, you know? Yeah. Stay the course. That's that's what I'd say. Stay the course. I'm proud of you. You're doing fine. You know, if I could go back 30 years, I would tell myself to a point when I'm 20 years old. Okay. Uh, it's a different thing. I would tell myself, uh, you're fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you little fucker. You, you, you better, number one, stop being a chameleon. You can't be all things to all people. Don't try to trick people into telling you, or don't try to trick people into thinking that you're something you're not. Figure out what you are and embrace it. Don't try to be a different thing. I was told once when I was working for SAP, I was 20, I want to say 26. I was told once to walk faster and smile less if you want to make it up the corporate ladder here at SAP. Um, Walk faster and smile less because perception is reality. And I took it to heart and I really thought that was a brilliant feedback because you don't have to be smart to do that. Smile less. I get to walk yeah. fast. Well, it's perception. You know, I want people need to see you're serious, your work and your business. Serious. Not right? the look, jokes. Can you see this? Time. Look over my shoulder. Can you yeah. read that? Walk slow, not, smile more. Yeah. So I got this sign this just this year for Father's Day. Uh, this past year, my son made me that sign that says, walk slow, smile more. And here we are 30 you're almost 30 oh. years, 25 years later, and it's become a, such a mantra in my life to walk slow and smile more. So in my 20s, I was all about trying to be uh, the right fit for these corporations that want you to walk fast and smile less. 
And it took me until I was 30, 35 years old to learn that it's okay to be who you are. It's okay to be silly. It's okay to be immature. It's okay to, you know, do you. Just do what you are. And if some people don't like it, it's okay. You don't need to do business with them. But if you're you, you're going to thrive. Yeah. That's what I would tell myself 30 years ago. Yeah, it's amazing. Dave, where can people get in touch with you? Where do you want them to reach uh, out? What, what social platforms? How do you want them to find you? If well, my connected? email is just the easiest way. It's okay. dave at propfuel.com. Um, that's the best way to reach me. Uh, or, or reach me in EO. Come to EO, man. Yeah. we got a great network. We're always in touch with each other on WhatsApp. So, um, yeah, EO is yeah. such a great organization. EOBoston.org, right? Yeah. EOBoston.org. If you're not a part of EO and you're listening to this, man, and you're an entrepreneur uh, or you're a budding entrepreneur, look into it. It's such a great organization. Totally agree. And how about your, your podcast? Give a shout out to you. Oh, uh, yeah. Entrepreneurs podcast? Organization 360, EO 360 and all the podcast players got hundreds of episodes. Well, no, that's not true. 150 or so episodes. And, you know, some really, really cool episodes. I mentioned uh, Drift, uh, David mm -hmm. Cancel, the founder of Drift. We got guys started California Closets. We got the guy that uh, um, that was uh, eaten by a shark and, and you know, it came through. We got um, – I mean, you have the best guests on that show. Other there than some cool this people. show has way better guests than <laughs> all of the guests you've ever interviewed. <laughs> oh, man. What are you going to say about that, that, Dave Will? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Casey, you're a great interviewer, man. I Thanks, really man. enjoy this conversation, maybe because it's all talking about me. Probably. But thank you. I, I, <laughs> it's, such, it's so nice to reflect the way yeah. you and you and your questions are so good in in uh, drawing stuff out. I hope I hope there's some value in it. I hope it was interesting for people. Well, I know I have a, like two pages of notes over here, so I I learned notes. something. So yeah, please. You know, if somebody else did, great. Otherwise, I'm good. Uh, but yeah, thank you again, man, for coming on here. I know you're a busy guy, and it's great to just, you know, be a participant in that reflection with you. Thanks, man. I appreciate Absolutely. it. For those listening, this has been the first and soon to be more many exciting episodes of Leadership in Action. We will see you all next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.